Welcome everyone. Hi, I'm Henry DeVries. I'm the CEO of Indie Books International. Welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. And this is where we help independent consultants and business coaches, marketing agencies, attract high paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. So it's not marketing a book, that's an important topic, but this is marketing with a book. How do you attract these clients? And it could be serving them as a consultant, as a trainer, serving them as a paid professional speaker. Before we get going, we'd like to introduce some of the authors on the call and hear about their book project. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce Chris Hodges. Chris, tell us about your book and where you're from, and also a little on how it's going. Super. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris Hodges, and I've been dutifully told to hold my book up just like this. Author of Noble Automation Now. And what I say, what I've been saying to everybody since the book came out, it's helping humans be heroes in the age of automation. It's all about using all these exciting tools in a way that serve all the stakeholders of the business. Uh, it's been a great journey uh, since my book was published by Indie Publishing International in really in January. Um, and I've had an opportunity to speak to quite a number of people. I live in Denver, Colorado, and I'm happy to be uh, to be on this pad podcast and to meet additional people in the indie world. Chris, it's, it's uh, fun to talk to you because when we first spoke, you wanted to do this book so you could speak and speak at a high level because your audience is the Fortune 500. And you're like the dog that caught the car. The book came out and you did get these speaking engagements and you were talking to the Fortune 500. So uh, glad you had that success and wish you more of it. Um, we've got uh, Peter Prevolos on. Welcome, Peter. And uh, tell us about your book that's coming out. And you're on mute. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, there's, there's what my book looks like. But why is this interfering? I need to read Hodges' book. It looks good to me. Oh, yeah, good. Life to the fullest. Okay. And my book is really a, a pseudo biography of my family and, and my accomplishments in the business world, um, the challenges that uh, I was faced with over the years, uh, and the lessons that I learned along the way. So um, I hope that uh, somebody will be interested in wanting to read it and will be maybe even inspired that uh, dreams do come true as long as you're willing to work at it. There you go. And remember, Peter, books don't promote authors. Authors promote books. So you love your book. Now is the next thing to do is get other people to love it. So you have to do things like write and teach and speak on podcasts. And with that, we have an author with us today, a top-selling author. And he's doing just that with our podcast. Uh, I'd like to welcome John from Micah. He's a... Uh, customer experience coach and has an interesting background that uh, includes Disney and he'll tell us all about that. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. And uh, so tell us, what does it mean to be America's experience coach for customer relations? Absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, Henry, for allowing me to be on this today and um, especially around some great people. And I'm excited for those that are have books and the process of writing books, it's, 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 a, it's a really exciting thrill when you finally accomplish that. So I know uh, they're all very proud and uh, congratulations to all. 
Yeah, uh, Henry, I'm known as the ex-Disney guy in America's customer experience coach. And uh, I got the name because I used to work for many, many years with the Disney company, managing their hotels and resorts uh, in Orlando, Florida. My background has been, I, I spent over 30 years managing hotels, but I got an opportunity to work for Disney back in the late 80s and 90s, where we had only four hotels on a campground, but we had 16 brand new hotels on the drawing board. My job was to open up all the new hotels hire the staff, train the staff, but more importantly, create an experience at each one of those hotels that would differentiate Disney from everyone else. And one of the things I learned from Disney and really my passion to serve others is that the reason why I wrote the book, the reason why I'm doing what I do is because um, it's not about customer service anymore. Uh, you know, I might be America's customer experience coach. I actually got that title and I also got a title in Australia as a, Australia's customer experience coach. Great accolades. I'm happy for the title. But I have another one that I think is a lot more fun. I'm, I'm also known as the anti-customer service guy. And that is because I don't believe in customer service. Henry, customer service is a waste of time. Now, I get it. Most businesses, we have to serve our customers and most do a fair job at that. But when you just provide a customer service, you won't differentiate yourself from anybody else. You can't charge high prices. You can't do the things that you need to do. And if you think at Disney, this, they give the best experience on planet Earth, and that's why they can charge whatever they want to charge. But it's all about the emotions and feelings of the experience, not just service. If you just provide service, you're a commodity. Anybody, I, I tell businesses all around the world, we need to be frank. You're no different than everybody else. You think you're better. You're not. You think your product's better. It's not. You think you're, you're, you do better job because you've been in business for 50 years. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's what experience can you provide me that's going to be emotional that I'm going to want to do business with you, tell friends, and continue to do business with you. And so I wrote my book, Making the Customer Experience Magical Now, How to Succeed in Business and Beat Out Your Competition. And it's basically an action guide, not a book you put on a shelf and hang out there after every chapter exercises and things you can do with, it, with your team because I wanted to give them a resource that you could create your own magical customer experience by using Disney success strategies and so that's kind of what I do and I get to travel the world doing it so I'm pretty fired up. So John the year is 1987 the place is Orlando, Florida. I've just heard Disney World with my family, which includes twins with a twin stroller. Wow. We beat up on the trip. I mean, we went everywhere. We beat that thing up. And finally, it died at Epcot. It, it uh. died. So I took the broken stroller and set it next to the trash can at Epcot. A week later, a giant box arrived. I had left a, a name tag on that broken stroller and the Disney experience mailed it to me. I forgot my stroller at Epcot and here it is. So we know about Disney going the extra mile. Absolutely, um, what a great, great story, great story. So really curious um, with, um, you know, taking this, the Disney magic and doing that and, uh, as an author, maintaining that good relationship so that Disney doesn't unchain the attorneys on you. Uh, <laughs> how do you maintain that nice relationship where uh, they're happy that you've got uh, two Mickeys and a magic glove uh, in your background? 
Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, everything I do is, you know, I, I, my heart and soul is with the Disney company. I was a huge fan of Walt Disney way before I ever became uh, involved with the Disney company. In fact, in 1966, when Walt Disney died of cancer, I was 10 years old and I did a book report on Walt Disney yeah. because I was just so fascinated with him watching it every Sunday night, the wonderful world of Disney. And I learned a lot back then and I continued to learn. And then as I got through uh, college and, and started to, to work on my career in the hotel industry, I, used, I did a lot of research on what would Walt do and, and that, why did they do things? So it was a big, uh, you know, it wasn't a big leap, but I, I just love what they've done. And when I got an opportunity to actually work there, you know, it was a dream come true. But I, I love the brand, I protect the brand. There is nothing in any of my material that I've crossed out the Disney name and put John Formica's name on it. Um, I, I just share the Disney success model through my eyes of what I did through not only working the Disney company, but how I turned, out, turned around companies and businesses around the world using the Disney success model to prove that the model works outside of the Disney structure and how that came about. And that's kind of how the, how the book came about. But, but really, again, my biggest challenge is when I speak at large events, it's how they market me. I have to make sure they don't say Disney is coming to our event. It's John <laughs> Formica, the ex-Disney guy, is coming to your event. Yeah, yeah. Not Disney. So um, just a tip, John. Uh, Devin, our vice president, if there's ever like a trivia game for money about Disney, I would not play her if I were you. Uh, she's a D23. Um, one of her benchmarks is being at a Disney park every month. Um, wow. And the, the aim is to go international. And uh, if you haven't been to the uh, Walt Disney Museum in San Francisco yet, have you been there? No, I have if, not. If you haven't, you need to put that on Absolutely. your list, your bucket list. Uh, yeah. We have also studied Disney and the magic, it's funny, uh, we're kindred spirits, because when I started our company years ago, I paid to take the team to Disneyland for the day. And they said, I'm just going to show you things all day and the magic that's here. And that is our role model. You know, yeah. um, Disney idea, it's, it's a spirit and it lives on and Walt's passed and it's, and I own stock in Disney. Um, I think I had to do it because my wife and uh, family go so much. I just wanted to get a little something back. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, just, just what you just said, you know, using Disney as a model. What I really speak on is, is if Disney ran your business and you can fill in business, fill in a blank. I don't care if it's if Disney ran your, your auto service repair shop, your chiropractic business, your shoe shine, your valet, it doesn't make a difference. If Disney would run it, what would that look like? And that's what I do. I show them what Disney would do. If they took over today, what they would do and how they would do it and why they would do it. But more importantly, then connect the dots on how you can do it too. And, and so good for you that you've taken a good role model and tried to duplicate maybe not everything or tweak yeah. it the way you know suits your business. But those principles are the same and they're great principles of any business, aren't they? They are. And John, I write a column for Forbes.com and I would love to write about you and your book. And, and we'll talk more about that offline. Absolutely. In, in reading some of your material, I was interested in this idea of uh, 
just Disney would look at something like a little extra or one more step. Could you explain that, please? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, in my opinion, that's what really, there, there are a few things that separate Disney from other companies. I get asked all the time, how do they do it, right? How do they do it? And they think that some magic wand, I'm just going to wave around or throw out pixie dust and it works, right? There's, there's actually things that you have to do, but but Walt Disney created an incredible philosophy that still stands today. And he, his philosophy was when he did animated features and then when he went on to build Disneyland. And he called it the plus factor. And the plus factor from Walt was whatever you do, try to plus it by one. And what his meaning was, can you do this much more? Whatever it is, can you do this much? He didn't say this much more. He said this much more. And if everybody in an organization, on a team, a department, whatever in the business, if everybody did this much, it will add up to a lot. And, and, and this much doesn't mean you're spending money. This much could be, I'm going to come to work with this much more energy. I'm going to smile this much more. I'm going to get to know my customers and have fun with them, engage with them this much more. I'm going to make sure the place is clean this much more. I'm gonna make sure I dress this much sharper. I'm gonna smile this more. I'm gonna answer the phones this much faster. It goes on and on and on, but it's, it's the factor that can you do this much? And when he, he, his philosophy, when he did movies and he would do a movie like Cinderella and it would be like, awesome, ready to go. And then all of a sudden he would say, uh, no, we have to plus it by one. I don't like this scene we got to make it better. And they go, his brother Roy would say, that, that's going to cost us more hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he said, no, it's got to be right. That plus one is going to make a difference. And you and I would say nobody was going to notice it. Walt knew somebody was going to notice it. And that's the plus factor. When he built Disneyland, he said, Disneyland will never be done. We're always going to do a little bit more to make it a better park, a better place to bring your family, a better place to enjoy. And so, and so the philosophy behind that is every business can do that. Uh, and it's not just top down. When I, when I work with businesses and help the, the, the hourly staff and the frontline staff, I try to build it up from the bottom because they're the ones with great ideas, right? They're the frontline. They know what is going to create some excitement. Um, and so if everybody gets an opportunity to show that plus one, get recognized, get appreciated, you teach it. You train everybody, you just always keep that out front. People will do it and that will separate you because some of the little things that some businesses do, Henry, nobody does. And there are little things. You and I would go, that's it. But to a customer, it might be a wow. And that's, it's a great philosophy. For our authors who listen to our podcast and watch, notice how John did a proprietary research study. He, he worked at Disney but he also studied it and he reversed engineered these principles. So one, we call the principle, you can always take one more step. And um, so, and, and it's a universal truth. You can, Disney made it part of their philosophy and mindset. And there are other people who are known for their customer service, Nordstrom, Ritz Carlton, but what's a brand everybody can relate to um, that, you know, they bring magic into your life. And, you know, for 
actually, when you look at it uh, for the entertainment value, it's one of the most affordable ones there is. Yeah. Well, um, what's, what's really interesting is where, where I talk about the customer experience is the next competitive battleground. It's where every business is going to be won or lost. I'm telling you, that's what people make decisions based on emotions and feelings. And you get those through the experience that you get from any, any business or a, a doctor. If the doctor gives you a good experience, you'll go back or whatever, you'll feel comfortable, whatever that might be. And so people, 80, the, the statistic is 86% of people will spend more for a better customer experience. And you think of Disney, right? It's not cheap. We go there because we're willing to spend that money. No different than my wife and I here. In, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're about three hours from the beach. Every year we go a week vacation to the, to the ocean, right? To the beach. I have to get a condo, a home, hotel. It's got to be right on the beach facing the ocean. <laughs> and I always tell my wife, honey, we can get a lot cheaper one if we're three rows in. No, it's got to be on the beach, on the ocean, so she can have her cup of coffee on the balcony and watch the sunrise. Does that cost me more money? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. I'm willing to pay that money because it's a memory, it's an experience, it brings joy and happiness. If you can provide a good experience, whether it's from a book or, or a business, people will enjoy it. You've mentioned a magic word here, emotion. Disney was born in Hollywood in the 20s. And I like to call Hollywood the emotion picture capital of the world. Yeah. Every Disney movie was about emotions and having an emotional experience, um, laughing, uh, crying, uh, feeling noble, uh, all these things. You, you go for these feelings. Um, uh, sometimes it's fear. Um, if you think about Pinocchio and uh, uh, Snow White and these movies, Peter Pan, they, there were some scary movies back uh, back in the day. And, and so they were experts at that. On the positive side, from your hotel experience, tell me more about how you were seeking to create positive emotions with the guests. Uh, you know, it, it's it's all, again... You have to, in the hotel industry, which is the hospitality industry, no different than restaurants or, or tourist destinations, or whatever there might be, you have to have a passion to serve others. It's not an easy profession. You work holidays, you work weekends, you work your birthday, uh, you work Christmas. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, and you have to have a passion to serve. And I, and I believe I got that passion to serve others through my mom and dad, who are just wonderful people, who had that passion to serve. Nobody was an enemy. Everyone was a friend. Everyone was welcome to the house. Every, you know, come on, sit down. We have food for everybody, right? And, and so I grew up loving sisters, everybody with that passion to serve others. So when I made this transformation into the business world of working my way up in a career from a front desk clerk to the general manager of the largest convention hotel in the state of North Carolina, it was because of that passion to serve. Now, that passion to serve is also the passion to serve your employees and to care and to help them and develop them and, and to coach them, not punish them, but coach them. And, and all those things that all build upon building those relationships 
because that's what we're in. We're in the relationship business. We, we have to build relationships with our bosses, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our vendors. Uh, we have to build those relationships. And you can't do that if people don't know you, if people don't know your story, if you don't become interested in them instead of being interesting in your product or service, be interested in, in your customers and in your staff. When you do those things, you will be liked. And when you're liked, it's an emotion. And we all like to do business with people we like, right? We're with people we like. We all like to read books from authors that we like, right? And so it makes sense to build those relationships. And you don't do that by just being interesting. You do that by being interested. So well put. Invest in relationships. I just ghost wrote a piece for a CEO of a very large company where he wanted to get that message out to his people. And I interviewed him and I pulled the stories out of him on what that had meant for the company through the years. And their chief scientist was because of some relationships they had when that person was just getting out of school. And customers became became associates, became customers again. And he says, it's all about the relationships. I have found in this business of being a professional author and speaker, I've always looked for the magic bullet. And I felt all my success came because of the relationships. And then I realized it's actually the relationships that is the magic bullet. So helping others, amplifying their work, um, just seeing how you can help and serve their community. Uh, is an investment that comes back many fold. But I've also worked with Marriott Corporation. And Absolutely. to your point, we say you have to have a servant's heart. You have to really do it, not like, hmm, what will I get out of this? Excellent. It has to just come from the heart that, oh, I'd like to serve these people and make them happy. Um, are there Absolutely. techniques you do in your training to help people bring this out? Well, I, I, yes, I try to help them focus on the why, right? Not the what and the how, that's what they get trained for, that's what they get paid for. What I wanna help them is why do it? You know, why, you know, Disney's why and their purpose is to make people happy. That's what they do uh, and that's why they do it. So think about it, if you don't wanna make people happy, you're not gonna survive working for Disney. <laughs> that's just not gonna work. In fact, what Disney will do is if you wanna get a, if you wanna work for Disney, uh, before you fill out an application, you have to watch a video. And in the video, they will tell you that the sole reason why we're gonna hire you if you're, if you're lucky, no matter what job you get hired for, but the reason why we're hiring you is to make people happy. And you're gonna work weekends and holidays and, and Christmas day and, and they start talking about the grooming guidelines and, and, and just all these things. And then what happens is 15% of people walk out the door and they don't want to work for Disney. And Disney doesn't think that they're bad people or they're not going to be successful in life, but it's a way of really just eliminating the people that don't want to make people happy. Because how could you work for Disney if you don't want to make people happy? If you're there for a job and benefits, you'll, people will know that pretty quickly. And so what I try to tie is the purpose for every business. If it's to make a difference in the life of a child, that could be the purpose of a teacher. When I do programs for schools, I do a program, if Disney ran your school, what would it look like? And for, for principals and, and assistant principals and administrators. But if you ask a teacher what your purpose is, they'll say, 
to teach, educate, give them lifelong skills, prepare them for college, help them graduate. No, that's, that's your job. <laughs> but how many teachers do we know, Henry, that have lost that purpose, right? They lost the reason why they wanted to get in teaching in the first place. And that is because they want to make a difference in a life and a child. And when you can tie in the why, then it's in your heart. And Walt Disney created a great character. I'm sure Devin knows who this character is, but it's a character that reminded us every day at Disney why we worked at Disney. Mind us every day. Devin, do you know who it is? It's kind of a hard question, so I don't expect you to, to know it. You, you will know it once I tell you. Jiminy Cricket. I was gonna say, is it, is it Jiminy Cricket? It's Jiminy Cricket, Henry. And what did Jiminy Cricket say? He said, when your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. Think about it. When your heart's in it, you do it because you want to, not because you have to. And if I know why I'm doing it, because a passion to serve or to make people happy or to make a difference in the life of a child, when it's in my heart, Nobody has to tell me to come in early. Nobody has to tell me to make sure my lesson plans are great. Nobody has to make, tell me to smile. Nobody has to tell me to pick up trash. I do it because I want to, not because I have to. And leadership is about developing an environment so you're not in that babysitting business anymore. <laughs> you create the environment where they want to do it. And when I worked at Disney, we didn't walk around with big sticks, beating people over the heads. We created the environment. And that's what I try to do with, with leaders um, that I teach and, and help. Of course, John, when you exit the, the backstage and go out, there are the mirrors and the signs to tell you that you're a cast member and you're, you're going on stage. Even the guy with the broom and the little pan sweeping up. Absolutely. Matter of fact, this summer, uh, I'm sorry, last summer I was there and it was the woman who had that duty. You know, they dress in white and they have, the, and I'm just sitting down watching, but she sets down the little pan and then there's a piece of wadded up paper 10 feet away. She stands over the wadded piece of paper like a golfer and the broom is the club. She looks at the line, she looks at the angle, she sees the break, you know, slightly bends knees, head straight, followed through and the paper rolls into the pan. And, uh, I, you know, I had to run up to her <laughs> and say, you know, okay, that was so great. You know, <laughs> she was doing her job, but to make people happy. She made people happy watching her pick up trash. And yeah. what an amazing part. She definitely knew her purpose. Well, if you think about it, Disney did some research and they found out that the person that walks around with the dustpan and broom in many cases is the number one person that gets asked more questions than anybody else in the park. Why? They're so visible, right? right. They're always walking around. So they're gonna, you can't, they don't, they don't give that job to anybody. You have to actually pass a test to qualify, to be considered for that job. And think of most industries, where do we put that custodial person? The yeah. lowest person on the totem pole. And Disney says, no, 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 no. This is one of the highest people because they are the face of our company, right? That's how you, you got to look at it that way. That's a great reminder because we've had great conversations with those people and photo ops and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, and everyone I have met has just been an exceptional representative. Absolutely. Um, so John, I've got to do my fanboy story here. Yeah, please. So, 
in business school, um, we also studied Disney and Walt and Roy. So if, if those of you don't know, they were brothers and Walt is the dreamer and the creative. Roy makes the trains run on time. Roy makes the things happen. Roy gets the money. Um, so it was a great partnership. And Devin took me to a D23 convention. And this is for the Disney insiders. And there was a little tent set up, kind of something inside. And this person, kind of a guard that you had to talk to before you go in. And I said, well, what's inside? And she said, oh, this is a drawing, the first drawing of Disneyland that Roy Disney took to the bankers. And I said, oh my gosh, it's the original Disney drawing that Roy took to New York? And they, oh, you know about this? And I said, yeah, because the story was uh, one of the Imagineers was brought in on a Friday and Walt told them about what Disneyland was gonna be. And he says, Walt, I can't wait to see it. He said, see it, we're gonna draw it this weekend. Roy has to fly to New York on Monday to meet the money people. And this was, a fortune was created by this one drawing. Um, but I, yeah, and uh, so I obviously, I've interviewed Disney people and I've written about Disney. I own stock. So when I write about Disney and Forbes, I have to disclaim that I am a shareholder in Disney. And I mean, I'm, I'm the smallest shareholder they have, I'm pretty sure, but I have to disclaim that. That's but I'm you know, just so interested in all these stories um, well, what's, what's and the really lessons that they, lead, they give, like you'd give. Yeah, you know, in reading about Walt, Walt was an incredible dreamer, as you said, incredible dreamer, great visionary, could see things way before anybody else could, right? And, and Roy was his, his really, his, his, his sidekick that really kept the company going because he was the financial and the management. And when I learned more about Walt, I found out Walt, Walt couldn't manage his way out of a paper bag. I mean, he, he was terrible, <laughs> but he was a great leader. And you go, when I teach that, people go, how can you be a better leader? Well, there's a difference, as you know, between leader and management, and, but leaders about inspiring people. Leaders about personal appeal. Leaders about wisdom. Leaders about competency. Leaders about making good judgment. That's what Walt did. He did all that stuff, but he had a sidekick from Roy. Interesting, when I was at Disney during the 80s and 90s, Michael Eisner was our CEO. Yes. And whatever people like Mike, didn't like him, liked him, whatever it was, I think, in my personal opinion, I think he was the closest thing to Walt that there ever was, as far as that visionary. He, he saw everything, and his challenge was he wanted to do everything now, like right now. And he had, his sidekick was Frank Wells. They came yeah. together, and Frank Wells was the manager of the finance. He was the Roy. <laughs> he was a spin image of the Roy, right? And when yeah. Frank Wells passed away in the helicopter crash, I think the demise of Michael Eisner was he never replaced him. He thought he could do both. Yeah. And leadership is about knowing what role you play and what role you shouldn't play, right? Walt knew he shouldn't be dealing with the financial aspects of things and the management and negotiations. Just be Walt because you're great at what you do, Walt, right? And so uh, those, are, those are great things. And that, you're absolutely right. Those, um, Walt was the visionary. He saw the people see things and emotions and feelings and pictures and video, whatever it was, that's how he was going to sell his movies, right? In Disneyland. 
there's a story that Walt had his up and down days. And when he would come into the studios in Burbank, if he was, if he was in a mood and the, when he passed, the receptionist would get on the phone and call back to the uh, creative department and said, man is in the forest. And that was their code from Bambi that uh, Walt's here and he's in a mood. So, you know, lay low. Um, one of, somebody I've helped write a book about, uh, we talked about that experience where a leader also needs to know that their attitude when they walk in is reflected. There's another story from Disney about an executive who was having a bad day in the Burbank studios and somebody sent him, um, you need to go, um, go to Disneyland and just sit for a while, just hang out for a while. Now, I don't know if that story is true or uh, apocryphal, uh, but the idea is getting back to your purpose. That's so right. what's our purpose here? To make people happy. You know, look at the trash picker upper who's doing photo ops with people. And now, yeah, now do you feel like getting back to work? When yeah. I was the president of an ad agency, we had something unfair happen. A client fired us and I got sent home for the day. My boss said, when you're happy, you can come back because they're all looking to you for leadership. You know, they want to read your mood. Uh, Absolutely. So, I always tell people in my workshops, I say, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? And the <laughs> thermometer just tells you what the temperature is, right? So yeah. you could walk into any room, any business, and I can get a, a temperature reading. And I'm not talking degrees. I'm talking about energy and engagement, enthusiasm, attention to detail, cleanliness. You, you can measure all that with a thermometer, but there's nothing you can do about it. But leaders need to be that thermostat. They need to set that temperature. They need to come in with that attitude and that that caringness, that attention to detail, all the things that need to be done um, because that, that's where we look to. We look for them for, for guidance. John, let's go in one last direction. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. We certainly appreciate it. My pleasure. Advice to authors and speakers. You've learned some things along the way as an author and a speaker. Uh, what would you recommend in that area to our authors and speakers? Uh, I think you said it really well when you said, uh, just because you have a book doesn't mean you're you've arrived, right? <laughs> you yeah. got to market the book and you can market the book through speaking, coaching, training, online, whatever it is you might be. But um, when, it, when you want to market the book, it's no different than marketing a business. Talk about the benefits of reading the book, not what's in the book. Don't talk about, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about that. I've had a hundred years in this and, and I used to be number one in this and I'm going to be sharing that story. Those are great things. I'm not disregarding that, but what's the benefit of reading your book? What's the, what am I going to get out of that? That's your marketing. No different than a business, right? Uh, it's, I don't go to a chiropractor because he's got a license and he, he's got a nice certificate on the wall. I go because I have a bad back and I want to be fixed because I'm tired of getting up in the morning and hurting, right? Yeah. If you can do that and convince me you can do that, you, I, you got me, right? So it's, it's marketing those sort of things. And, and when you, if you're going to speak, which I do and coach, you want to weave your book in your talk so that it becomes, boy, a must have by the end of the event. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, mentioning your book and holding your book up while you're speaking because you know, then it comes across being a salesperson. 
uh, or infomercial. You don't want to do that. But you can do various different things that talk about what's in your book, but don't tell them everything because <laughs> then there, there's no reason for them to buy the book um, or use the book. So those are the things that do it. But, but the book definitely brings you credibility. I like to give books away. It's your business card. Uh, I, don't, I don't worry about, gee, it costs this much. That it's Listen, if I get a book in someone's hand, I don't know where it might go next. It could be the next million dollar contract. Who knows, right? Right. I'm willing to, so mar, your book is a marketing piece. It's not a, it's not a, a tool. It's, it's a marketing tool to help you achieve in your business. So don't be afraid to, to do that. Uh, give the book away or, or discount it, whatever it is, because the more people have it, the more people can read it. At a minimum, we recommend you mail 20 books a month to people who can make a difference. This is going to cost you $200 a month as a business development tool. And you're putting it in the hands of people who book speakers to talk to your target audience. You're giving it to podcasters who reach your target audience. And you give it to people who actually might hire you for your service. So you're planting 20 seeds a month. And if anyone is worth planting one seed with, plant three. Also, reach out to them on LinkedIn or reach out to them with a personal letter or a postcard. Reach out to them with a phone call. Oh, nobody answers their phone. They have voicemail and you can leave a short voicemail to reach out to them. Yeah, absolutely. Powerful. And um, again, when I, I'm, I'm self-published and I, when I get my books, you know, I always have this conversation with my accountant. It goes in the advertising budget. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's an expense. It's Yeah, it's an advertising marketing expense. That's that's where it goes. Yeah, so, it's not cost of goods sold. It's business yeah. development, marketing and advertising. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm not an accountant. Please see your accountant. <laughs> all, all decisions remain yours. Uh, Boyd, we're prohibited. God bless America. But yeah, um, as a publisher and an MBA, that's my advice too. Good, good advice. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Sure. And so are uh, commissions. Commissions are a business development expense. Um, right. You know, that's that's where they belong. Um, that's right. John, thank you so much. I guess we didn't start the recording, so uh, I'll just ask it. John, are you related to the Formica fortune, the uh, countertops? Did you ever interact with Formica? Tell us. Tell us. We want to know. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint anybody out there who cares, but no, I have nothing to do with that. I, I joke and tell people, um, you know, I let my dad run that company and I run my own and that usually gets them to think. And then I go, no, sorry, we had nothing to do with it. It's, it's, uh, it's a form of MICA. That's the company name that they came about. Um, but um, my name is Formica really in Italian. It means the little ant. They have no relationship at all to anything. So, uh, but it's, um, I used it once in a while in, in college to make me, you know, let the girls think I had money. So it worked. Sometimes it worked. Uh, I would, at restaurants, I'd put my name in as Rockefeller. And you know what? You get a table right away, by the way, if you put Rockefeller on the list. Um, Love it. Okay. Love it. Yeah. 
the following was not approved by the Rockefeller family <laughs> and does not indicate endorsement or sponsorship. Okay, John, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience today. It was so great. And uh, I, I would like to uh, um, get a copy of that book and, and uh, look at to writing up. Uh, I think there's some great stuff we could write in Forbes.com about this. Uh, love to, love to. Very enjoyable to meet you today. Thanks for the wisdom for our authors and speakers. So that's it for the Marketing with a Book. I love this book again. Um, John. Making the customer experience magical now. Thank you. You're welcome. And he indie published that book, by the way. He didn't self-publish it. He indie published it. That's right. Only crazy grandpas self-published books anymore. Um, so that's that's one of my bits, John. It's just, yeah. uh, um, you don't need an indie publisher like us to indie publish a book. It's just more of a matter of, you're gonna get professional help to bring this out Absolutely. and you're gonna retain the control of the intellectual property. Um, Absolutely, Absolutely. That's even yeah. more important than the fact that you make more money with an independently published book than you do with a traditionally published book. And you know, when, and when I wrote my book, I didn't know, I didn't have a clue. And that was the big thing. I, if you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, which means you're not going to do it, right? You're not going to do it. You're going to put it on that back burner because it's, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I don't know even where to start. And I had, luckily I had somebody who helped me and um, took the reins. He said, you just, you just write, you just record your, your seminars and workshops. Uh, and we got a book. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get this done in no time. And, and through his help, I got it. And it's like, great. Right, on to the next one. We call that the talk to text strategy. Right. I helped a CEO of one of the top 10 pharmas last year write his book, and he was in the middle of curing COVID. So what we did was um, he liked to go on a walk every day, and I just prepped him with an outline, had him record his thoughts. I transcribed it, cleaned it up, and voila, we Here's had a, a book. book. Yeah, There's a book. There you go. So Every, everybody thinks their everybody thinks their book has to be you know this really thick thing where some professor from Harvard is going to use it in their in their theory studies. Just get it out. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to win any awards. It just needs to give information that people need and want. And and you're going to be helpful. That's why we write books because we want to help people uh, learn or whatever it is. It'll work. It'll work. Gee, it sounds like purpose to me. That's right. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, everybody. This has been the Marketing with a Book podcast, and we'll see you on a future episode. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.